Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Shannon Fleming. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to the R4 Summit, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. And coming back on the podcast is guest co-pilot super listener Sam George. Mr. Sam, always great to have you back on the show. I think it's great to be back. I love you guys, man. You, you, you're making the world a better place with this podcast. Man. Oh, shucks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't inflate our egos. We don't need any. <laughs> that's, my, I, that's what I do well. There's only a couple things I, I can do, and one of, one of those is, is that. So All right. You're going to swallow our heads. <laughs> <laughs> Bubble hearts right at you. So on this episode, we're going to talk about Frank Zappa's 1969 album, Hot Rats. Sam, we're finally covering Zappa. How did you discover him, and what's your history with this album in particular? Well, um, again, this is just about everything uh, that you guys covered. My dad uh, was listening to Zappa when I was a a young kid, and uh, um, of course, this was the... You know, he he uh, sheltered me a little bit. You know, he wasn't going to let me listen to all of that. But I did. I do remember hearing Dynamo Hum, which and I didn't understand the lyrics. And I remember hearing uh, you know, Yellow Snow. I remember he was hearing, sheltering you from Zappa, but he let you listen to Dynamo Hum. <laughs> well, yeah, he would realize that I was like right up under him. And he's like, oh, son, uh, why don't you go get the basketball? <laughs> he didn't want you to hear that instrumental music. That shit's dangerous. I, I remember, I remember hearing the uh, Dynamo Home, and not, I never was. Li- I wasn't listening to it. But when I later on, I went back to it, and I was like, my dad listened to this. I remember hearing this when I was a little kid. And uh, yeah, yeah, Dad let me listen watch The Exorcist when I was six or seven too. So whoa, does he want another son? He's in his forties, and that explains it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's and then dope. After, afterward. Uh, uh, Dad had a few of the albums. I remember seeing uh, some of them, and uh, I didn't really get it until later on. I started playing guitar uh, when I was 12, and when I got to high school, I was 14. I met a couple of other guys who uh, who were in to, to Zappa, and I'd, I'd like to, uh, they are uh, new listeners. And I'd like to uh, tell um, Tony Thomas, uh, Chris Denard, and uh, Jerry Oust. Chris Denard's older brother had baby snakes. And uh, so when we were old enough to kind of, you know, drive, go out drive, we had baby snakes in the car. So we did with some baby snakes. And so after that, I went back and started getting all the Zappa. I started off, I went and got uh, apostrophe and overnight sensation. And then I started going back further on one side of it saw and hot rats and everything. And I still uh, I'm finding new things by Zappa. And it's an incredible. Aren't we all? Yeah. Uh, catalog. Goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm still doing it. <laughs> We said even right. like posthumously, he released like they released like what over twenty albums or something like well that. Well over, yeah. oh, geez, like sixty albums. You know? yeah. yeah, I'm ta- I'm just talking about after he died, though. It's oh, crazy. oh yeah, 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 yeah. Shannon, how about you? I'm kind of similar to Sam. Um, the first time I remember Frank Zappa was through um, our aunt Terry, and she also had. Um, I definitely remember Overnight Sensation, and I do remember Dynamo Hum, and I was in the same boat. I, I don't, I didn't understand the song when I was a kid, um, and I'm pretty sure she had apostrophe as well because I remember Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, and that one she really did. made me laugh. Yeah. But the other thing that I remember most is that she took me with her her boyfriend at the time, Scott, to go see 200 motels in the theater. She did. Yes, she cool. did. Holy shit. She did. I didn't know that. (laughs) I should ask her about that sometime. And I vaguely remember, because I just remember sitting there just like looking at it and going, wow, you know, and 
I did not. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> and Jerry said to me when I was an adult, because we were talking about Zappa one day, she said, well, I remember you saying to me that you really thought the colors were really good. And <laughs> that was about that's about it. And, you know, from there, I, I I didn't really listen much to Zappa. I just knew who he was. And then when I met my husband, Matt, I, I listened to Joe's Garage for the first time. And that one, that album actually does to this day remain my favorite. And I just... I've just been stuck on him ever since. I mean, and not only that about the music, the man fascinates me. I mean, completely and entirely. I mean, I've, I've watched countless interviews. I've read his autobiography and all kinds of stuff. So I, I know a lot about him himself, but he's just, he's fascinating in so many different respects. So that's my intro. All right. Ray. Well, I remember, I think I was in either kindergarten or first grade, it might have even been second grade. I don't even remember. But it's like a time in the early '80s, and I heard Valley Girl on the radio, and like <laughs> my my parents were in the front seat of the car, but laughing their asses off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I remember like remember my, I think I was like maybe middle school. My mom was telling me that stuff like she was listening to, and she was in the college. One of them was the Fugs. And the other was Frank Zappa and oh, the Mother's geez. Invention. There's a double. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I didn't know what they were about. But the, I was a total band geek, marching band, orchestra, and playing timpani in the orchestra. And like a lot of the guys who were like hardcore musicians always went on about Zappa stuff and how awesome it was. Um, I think it was actually my brother ordering Joe's Garage, um, which was my big gateway drug into uh, to the world of Zappa. Anyway, my, the other kind of periphery intro for Zappa, I knew Steve Vai. And yeah. Steve Vai oh. was like, supposedly like straight out of Berkeley, went to playing with Zappa. And that's where I heard about how intricate all his charts were and stuff like yeah. that. So anyway, but back to Joe's Garage. Um, I ended up buying the cassette of Shake Your Booty and thinking that was freaking awesome. And then my brother got Hot Rats. And I think I liked Peaches and Regalia at the time, but I never actually gave the entire album its full due. Uh, probably up until now. All right. So. I wish I could remember exactly when it was, but I know the first time I heard Frank Zappa's music is the radio edit of Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. <laughs> it was on some radio station while I was riding in a car, and I think Dad was driving, but I can't be sure, because I think he said, that's Frank Zappa. I just remember <laughs> oh, yeah. laughing my ass off at the lyrics, and I yeah. thought that Frank Zappa was a funny name. Years later, I got a cassette tape from Terry the Aunt Unit that she made for me that on one side had ACDC's Flick of the Switch album, but the way she wrote it out, it looked like Fuck of the Switch. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. And the Zappa album Apostrophe was on the other side, and Apostrophe had the Yellow Snow Suite on it, so that was really cool. So now we've got to skip ahead a few more years, and now I'm collecting CDs, and I got Strictly Commercial from the Columbia House CD Club. Yay! And that was a CD collection of a very broad overview of his career that put a lot of emphasis on his jokey lyrical material. Uh, but I did, I love that. And that just inspired me to finally start collecting his albums. And holy fuck nugget, does this man have a lot of albums. I must have also used the Rolling Stone uh, album guide to help steer me with which albums to buy. And Hot Rats was rated very highly. So I'm pretty sure I got this one early on. And now I'm a card-carrying Zapadict. <laughs> so... So now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record. And don't give me any shit because you use Wikipedia too. <laughs> Hot Rats is the second solo album by American musician Frank Zappa, released on October 10th, 1969 on the Bizarre label. It was produced by Frank Zappa and recorded from July to August 1969 at TTG Studios and Sunset Sound Recorders, Los Angeles, California, and Whitney Studios, Glendale, California. 
It reached number 173 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and has no certification as far as I can tell. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Frank Zappa on guitar, octave bass, and percussion. Ian Underwood on piano, organist Maximus, flute, all clarinets, and all saxophones. Captain Beefheart on vocals. Max Bennett on bass. Shuggy Otis on bass. John Guerin on drums. Paul Humphrey on drums. Ron Selico on drums. Don Sugarcane Harris on violin, Jean-Luc Ponty on violin, and Lowell George on rhythm guitar, and he's uncredited. All tracks on the record were written by Frank Zappa. Okay, let's dig into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The opening track is Peaches and Regalia. Sam, what do you think about this? It's uh, immediately it's interesting. It grabs you. It's, uh, I like to, you know, it immediately starts off with a drum roll into a piano arpeggio thing. And then uh, I thought, and I was wrong when I started researching this, what Frank plays in this song is is apparently an octave bass that's uh, recorded at half speed. Is that correct? Yes. And, and it's sped up. I thought that was another instrument entirely. I thought, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Incubus, but there's, they have a song called Animali, and it's real fast. And I thought that was the instrument that was on this record. And so when I first heard Animali, I was like, that sounds like Frank Zappa, uh, Peaches, right? But no, I was completely wrong. And so he uh, had this it's weird sounding, it sounds like a guitar. But it's not. It's a it's an octave bass recorded at half speed and sped up, and it makes a weird sound. I think it sounds great. This whole album sounds great, and uh, especially since it's recorded in in '69, right? Yeah. And I don't know if there was anything special in it other than Frank was obviously a perfectionist and wanted it to sound as as good as he want, as he could make it sound. But I love this song, and I love the clarinet sax grooves. And uh, Ian Underwood is all over this album, of course. He's future husband of Ruth, by the way. And uh, he is an incredible musician, and uh, he doesn't, I don't know, maybe he's not the type of person to take credit and get out in the front of, a, of a, the spotlight or anything, but the guy is an amazing musician, and he can play anything, and Frank took full advantage of him on this record, and especially this song. It's, I love this song. It's great. Shannon. This is a very cool tune. I, I agree with Sam. Um, it's definitely, you know, your modern jazz fusion. And it's kind of funny because um, it, it, it's, it kind of starts like with it's very dramatic with all these heavy keyboards. But the, and then but it's like then it kind of breaks into the horns and, the, and almost the horns almost make like this really cool, like car set, like a car horn sound in parts. And yeah. it, it makes me think of like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm listening 
to it with with my daughter Vivian, and she goes, "This sounds Asian." And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> right. it kind of does have no, an yes. Asian." I thought yes. exactly yes. yeah. these car horns and things like that. And I'm like, and we were like, "This is like the perfect intro to like a Bruce Lee movie or something." <laughs> you know, like where all the credits are rolling and stuff like that. And there's like this cars like on the, you know, on the highway or something like that. It was just it was really cool. And I think this is a great intro to the album because it just kind of showcases everybody. Everybody gets to partake and at least show off a bit. And I really, really like that a lot. Um, I do know that the album itself was dedicated to Dweezil. And, um, of course, it was recorded. It was just born, right? uh, Yeah. Yeah. And um, when Dweezil did his um, tour for... uh, Zappa play Zappa. This was this was one of the big songs he would he would perform, and it was it was really cool. And um, saw it, saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Another interesting thing too. You were talking about the bass before, um, Sam. The other thing that made me think of that as well was it. This was recorded on a sixteen track, which had never been used before. You know, at that time, everything was like four and eight tracks. So I'm sure that I didn't know that. Yes. So it was like, in fact, even Frank was. um, I saw in an interview with you know specifically parts about this album and he was saying that it was he thought of it as more of like a prototype because like nobody had been using it and it was just such a, a newer type of technology and he was excited to actually be able to utilize it and and it was it was mixed so beautifully and that's why it sounds so incredible yeah that's that's great. i think yeah. so too and it is yeah. one of my favorite songs in the album i really like this one ray um this this was my intro to this album um uh, when i first when i first heard my brother's cd uh, I love how they got that there's I think Shannon said something about the drama of the intro. It is totally with that drum intro. Yeah. And then you start with that first melody that goes for eight measures that like it's answered by these like kind of wild piano flourishes yep. for mm-hmm. the first part. And then there's that theme, that main theme, that down that is a fucking yeah. earworm and a fucking <laughs> yeah. half. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I could like listen to that nonstop. But it's kind of cool the way he breaks down his sections. You know, you think he's just gonna go eight measures for eight measures for eight measures. He doesn't. Like he does like the first three things the first two things in eight measure sections then when the horn figure comes in that's just ten measures of horn with all those weird modulations in there and then like the part where I think uh, Shan's daughter was saying it sounded like uh, from a Bruce Lee movie yeah yeah, <laughs> that, that's that, it's a major pentatonic part which I like the pentatonic so I use like throughout a whole bunch of different cultures across the world but yeah and that definitely it's got some kung fu fighting parts to it yeah um then it goes on to like a minor figure for about four measures. There's like it's he doesn't like he keeps you guessing. You think you're like I'll say like you follow a standard format for eight and eight and four and eight. No, he no he's doing eight measures. He's doing ten measures. Then he'll do four just for the fuck of it. Yeah, uh, which I guess part of his brilliance. Then you got that weird sticks like keyboard breakdown for five measures. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, to keep you guessing. <laughs> Horn session comes back for eight measures. And that's when I think you start to hear that, like, sped-up percussion. Yeah. And I was thinking, as I was listening to this, like, was Jan Hammer listening to this? And, like, <laughs> I'm going to write this. I'm going to do theme music. I wrote, his, I wrote that down. I can't believe <laughs> You did? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because I can totally hear that. Like, yeah. the Miami Vice theme song. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got to give a special shout-out to Shuggy Yotis. He's the son of a guy, uh, Johnny Yotis, who was, like, an R&B star. Uh, formerly, Shuggy was then put on an album uh, called Snatch and the Boontangs. Um, <laughs> like him and some other dude. <laughs> like this really filthy blues album. I've only heard a couple tracks off it, but even like my ears are like, whoa. Wow. I'm going to have to go find that. Yeah, get out there and do yourself a favor and find yourself some Snatch and the Boontangs. Uh, dude, his bass is like all over the place and it just yeah. keeps moving and moving. Yeah. Like, 
it bobs, it weaves, you know, yep. it stops, it has a cigarette break. Then it starts yep. all over again. Yep. It's great. So, yeah. Peaches and Regalia, way to start an album. Mm. Uh, yeah, this track sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, this is one of Zappa's best known and best loved compositions. It starts with that Ron Celico cool drum fill. Then it goes into the main theme, played on piano, clarinets, and saxophone by Ian Underwood, who is without a doubt the MVP of this album. This, this song in this record is notable for the various recording techniques Frank used to get the sounds he wanted. He manipulated tape speed to get different pitches and timbres of the instruments, including the drums and percussion, which gives the track its comical quality, like toy instruments being played and clown car horns and such. Frank himself plays bass that was recorded at half speed so that when it was played back at normal speed, it had that guitar-like sound like you were saying, Sam, and that's what is credited as octave bass. So it's not an actual instrument. He's just playing the bass guitar at half speed. They speed it up, and it sounds guitarish. Shuggy Otis plays the actual bass lines. He's given the room to maneuver, like you said, Ray. Though it should be noted that Frank Zappa approached music as a composer. He kept tight control of his music. He wrote off the charts for the music. You had to know your shit and be a hell of a musician to play in his band. There's all kinds of layering and overdubs on this thing, but it all serves the melodic themes. I don't think the song had any real improvisation on it. Within, you know, there was like parameters, and he probably said, All right, you can go from here to here and, and just let him go. That's what it sounds like to me, anyway. This one really, this particular track sounds composed. I love the build up too in the opening up section, story of the climax. I love that part. Yeah. Oh my God, I love that part. Uh, and then it goes back to the silly sounds, and the drums bring us back to the initial melody with the keyboard parts and percussion until it finally fades out. It's the second shortest track on the record, and it was released as a single, but it didn't do anything, of course. This is one of my favorite Frank Zappa compositions, and it's just a phenomenal piece of music. Yeah. Like he said, like, from what I, from I wikied anyway, he said this is the purpose of this album. He wanted to be a movie for your ears. This is your opening credits, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know who the best boy is, and the key grip, and the caterer is. The assistant to Mr. Zappa is. Yeah. When you listen to this song, directed by Frank Zappa. <laughs> the next track is Willie the Pimp. I'm a little pimp with my hair gas bag, hair candy pants with my shoes shine black. Sam, what do you think about this? Well, it's been said before on this podcast that songs about hookers and pimps are always good. <laughs> yeah, 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 right on, brother Brad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This one's about a pimp, but you know, who has hookers? Uh, but yeah, man, this is this song's really cool. It's a uh, it's kind of a blues based jam, and uh, it's really cool that uh, Frank has a a unique style. I mean, when you hear Frank play uh, guitar, it's, it's usually a blues based. If when he's soloing, rather, it's a blues based solo. He's he's sticking around there, and he's really he does interesting things, and uh, he he's able to make his uh solos interesting for eight minutes man and i mean you never he's he's just letting his guys do his thing and he's doing his thing man he's like okay you guys play this and i'm gonna jam and he makes the whole thing interesting and he's great i like uh 
is I think it's Max Bennett on bass on this song. If I'm not mistaken, and then you got Beefheart on on the uh, vocals, who in, in itself you know is, is a is a great musician and has uh, interesting interesting songs. These the uh, when he goes, uh, I'm a little pimp with my head gas back. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, that's good. That's me. That's like okay, I'm in, and whatever he does from here, I'm just I'm just gonna let him go, and it, it's fine. But yeah, uh, Beefheart. Uh, adds a little bit to this, and uh, I really, really enjoy this song. I love it, it's, even though it's at nine minutes. She doesn't; it doesn't feel like nine, nine minutes or however long it's. It, uh, it, it's a badass blues jam, which is right up my alley. I love it. Shannon, this is a cool tune too. It's an interesting. He switches from like this uh, this jazz fusion over to like a blues rock type of thing, and you gotta love that he. And I think he met Captain Beefheart in high school, which they, they I mean, long, they've long old friends and, and he's supposed to be extraordinarily eccentric as well. So you can see where he fits really well with this kind of a song. And I even like it when they uh, break into the guitar solo and they, they've got, he's got like these funky, like vocal inflections going on in it for a little bit. It's cool. And there's like this ticking sound. What is the ticking sound? The percussion? I don't know. It's it's it? weird, but it, I'm like, Everyone I'm listening. it's like this, <laughs> well, it kind of made me think of like, it's not exactly, but it kind of reminded me of like something like Pink Floyd ends up doing for money on Dark Side of the Moon. Because oh, it had like that, that like almost like a money, like a money sound to me, like, you know, and maybe like that's cash register kind of, but it wasn't exactly like that. But, but the way that the timing was on it, it reminded me of that, like even a coin dropping or so, coins dropping or something. Yeah. So money but I shot. thought that was, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of an interesting inflection to put into that. Um, I do know, you know, another thing about this song is that the album title itself comes from the lyrics. So, you know, it's going to be good. Um, and I do know also that. Warren Cucurullo, who we were talking about earlier, he ended up covering this on a 1998 album called uh, Road Rage, which I've not heard. I'd be interested in hearing that because that solo is just so cool. I mean, it's just all over the place. But he, I mean, I heard Dweezil say once that one of the things that he loved so much about Frank's writing and his playing was that, you know, he was able to just go off all over the place. And you'd be like, what the hell is he playing? But then he'd bring it right back. He, he knew exactly where he like left, like he left off. And the, but he managed to like land right back where it needs to be, so everything was so cohesive. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the the real attractive points of his playing and of the musicians that he brings in around him because they all have that talent. They're just so tight, but able to be loose. And what what did Matt Matt had a great word for this? In fact, he called it a cohesive um, chaos, which I think is exactly the way the songs are on this album. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Ray, I'd say Cohesive Chaos totally nails it. Well yeah. done. <laughs> um, no, the song is awesome. You got this kind of bluesy, dirty riff, and you got Captain Beefheart doing his white Chester Burnett shtick. Yep. And remember when we did the Tom Waits review, yeah. you said that there's some, you heard some Captain Beefheart, which I'm not so familiar with. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can hear Captain Beefheart and some of Tom Waits stuff now. Yeah. It's funny. I read the Lester Bangs review of this album, and he's all over. He loves Beefheart. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Mm. He's, Frank himself, he was kind of eh. Yeah. But he was like, Captain Beefheart's so ahead of his time and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Shannon, like, I, I, that weird percussion sound, like, I thought it was like a rattlesnake or like a sound, or like, yeah, you see, here, see, like, old westerns where there was like a uh, gun scene, you hear that yeah. in the background. Yeah. I even think on Badlands, they uh, had like something like that in yeah. one of their songs, yeah. too. And I always dug that. Great episode, by the way. Oh, oh right. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> um, 
and this is our introduction to Don Sugarcane Harris. Mm. And uh, man, this guy was nasty. He was awesome. And I like Beefheart's vocal histrionics, like Shannon was saying, in the background while Frank's soloing yeah, away. Yeah. It's, just, it's just like having a conniption fit, but it's awesome. <laughs> yes. It's just like, what the hell? <laughs> and uh, let's talk about Frank Zappa soloing. Frank was no slouch. Alice Cooper said he was his favorite guitarist. Like, I guess there was a show where Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, and Zappa played. And Alice Cooper was like, Zappa could play all their licks yeah. like it was nothing. And he did on stage. And then he did his own stuff yeah. on top of that, yeah. too. So that's a testament to the man skill. Yeah. How about his wah-wah playing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's real subtle. Yeah. It's really subtle. But it's awesome if you think about what I had heard was that Jimi Hendrix started his wah playing based off of seeing Frank do it. So you can kind of like, if that I is in that fact too. the case. All right. So cool. That can verify it yeah. then. But then you go right back to the source of somebody who we all know and love. Uh, there's other parts of the soul that I like. Is like there's, he's not only just doing single note stuff. He's like doing some interval sliding fourths and stuff like that. And I think, <clears throat> I could be wrong, but maybe I think Vi listened to that because if you listen to the Skyscraper album, Vi's doing a lot of sliding fourth kind of things on there mm-hmm. too. So that kind of picks up in there too. When I think about like Zappa soloing and kind of like Sam touched upon it, you don't get bored with it. You can listen to it for eight minutes yeah. and you're just like, well, it leaves you wanting more. Yeah. Which mm. most jam bands kind of fall into that category of uh, Fire on the Mountain yeah. for 20 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, I'm guilty. Never really, yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never really grabbed me per se, but, you know, teach their own. But yeah. with Zappa, I could listen to that dude just noodle all day. Yeah. Yep. Noodle, dude, yep. noodle. <laughs> <laughs> The first thing I noticed right off the bat is that violin melody played by Don Sugarcane Harris, which follows along the vocal melody sung by none other than Mr. Don Van Vliet, a.k.a. Captain Beefheart, with his gruff Howlin' Wolf-style vocals. The lyrics are literally about a pimp, with my hair cast back, standing on the porch of the Lido Hotel, floozies in the lobby, love the way I sell. I thought it smell. Hot meat, hot rats, <laughs> hot chicks, hot zits. Hot rats, hot roots, hot soups. <laughs> <laughs> and then the track gives way to a long Frank guitar solo that we've all been talking about. It's got lots of wah-wah on it. It's a perfect example of the Zappa guitar style. It's not flashy in a shredding way, but it incorporates elements of blues and jazz, and he's unafraid to reach for a dissonant note if he's feeling it. He plays a lot of notes, but it doesn't sound forced. He rides the wave of the groove that's laid down tightly by Max Bennett on bass and especially John Guerin on drums, who's allowed to cut loose quite a bit and bash it out. Finally, that initial violin melody returns as the track finishes up, and shit, almost nine and a half minutes have gone by. Great track. (laughs) The following track is Son of Mr. Green Jeans. Sam, your thoughts? I mean, I love the song. Um, at about a minute 44 or something like that, uh, it goes into this classical thing. If you like the first minute and then get around, it's, it's like the lounge is open. And then about a, a minute 20 in, it's like a blues thing. A minute 44 in, it's a classical thing. And then two minutes in, it's like Yingwei Malmsteen is playing, is on the piano. And then it's hard to keep up with. 
However, this is one of my favorite songs on the record because there is so much to take in. You keep going through these little, and it's kind of like a ride, man, like a you know, roller coaster ride. But it's it's kind of like a kind of a ride, and you just kind of let yeah let go and and you know and there's at the four minute mark there's a really cool solo and then the bass is kicking in, but then at about around six minutes, that's my favorite part of the damn song, man. Is where the drums go double time. And you're like, oh, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. And it gets me every time I hear it. I don't know how many times I've heard this song, but every time I hear the song around that, I'm like, oh, shit, I love this fucking song. <laughs> right on, man. And, and, he, and then he takes you back, you know, for the rest of the ride. And then you know, the piano, the little piano thing at the end, oh, it's genius, man. Oh, I love this song. God bless him. Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny as well. The son of Mr. Green Jeans, of course, is like what it's it's I think it's the uh, instrumental rearrangement of Mr. Green Jeans, which was performed by the mothers. Yes. And um, it, it's it's really cool. But it made me think of I had to pull out the book because I, I read his autobiography several years ago. And it's so funny in chapter one. And it's the actual chapter title is How Weird Am I Anyway? And he talks about how like the first thing he needs to talk about is like who he's not. And it says, quote, because I recorded a song called Son of Mr. Green Jeans on the Hot Rats album in 1969, people have believed for years that the character with the name on the Captain Kangaroo TV show played by Lumpy Branham was my real dad. No, he was not. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, dispel that myth right now because his father was out there and this song is, is pretty much out there. I mean, I, to me, it had like it's pretty upbeat. It has like you know what's to be, what's to come in my mind of like what a '70s sound would be like for you know rock and roll, so to speak, with this, with this real mix of crazy stuff. It has an awesome horn arrangement, and it leads into that crazy guitar solo, and then it builds into like this mishmash of like way like out there craziness. Like it's like listening to, like John Coltrane go at it with him or something like that. Mm. And it's this is where I was thinking about that cohesive chaos. This is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I mean, it's just yep. all over the place. But then it all falls right back into line. And, and keeping in mind, too, that while it's all over the place, you can still focus on each of the instruments and hear how it all fits. It's just incredible artistry. And I just again, it's, it's a great composition. I think um, it's incredibly creative. It's it's a cool tune. Ray? Well, I saw the light. <laughs> like, every time I hear, I hear Todd Rundgren when I hear that. <laughs> Which is not, I'm sure, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. And that's, my brain just goes to Todd Rundgren automatically. But, uh, if, this is a cool-ass song. I break the song down, and it's like, I'm sure there's a way to look at it differently, but, like, an A section and a B section is alternating throughout. Like, the the Todd Rundgren part, yeah. and then there's, there's the um, the more major key yeah. part, um, and how how, they, how he changes things around back and forth throughout. The bass playing on this album is just nutty good, yeah. especially when, like, when it comes to what that B major section, or B major-sounding thing, major yeah. tonality-sounding thing. That that is just I could listen to the bass just the, probably the isolated bass tracks alone would be quite entertaining. Yeah, I like there's like an interplay between uh, Zappa's solo and like there's a Barry Sax that Ian's playing in the background, which I think is really cool. Around the three minute forty second mark, we're going back in that B section and it's very melodic and modal. I would say like throughout his his solos, he kind of goes he sticks with the kind of uh, so he does a portion of the song where he's like just starts like the, the kind of basic blues pentatonic stuff. 
during that minor A section, but when he gets to the B, he gets really melodic. Yeah. And he like really explores really explores the space explores. with the melody. Hey. Those major and minor thirds and six. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think some of his best solos on this entire album are actually in this track particularly. Um, especially when he's getting very real melodic. There's this one part, I forgot where, I think it's around the 6 minute 58, <laughs> 58 second mark, where he starts playing like a 50s style, like, I think it's awesome, he's like this light, irreverent, you know, he's not yeah. totally making fun of the 50s, but also he's like, hey, Frank, what's Frank up? loved 50s music. Well, he, he was a big fan of that style, he, yeah. He loved doo Yeah, he loved oh, doo yes. Oh, wow, yes. okay. So, so it, 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 there's no like he wasn't doing it just to be like so no. ironic or anything no. like that. No, he's no, like, no, no, that's no, genuine. He, oh. he really he did love that it. Shit. Huge fan he of doo Oh, then, then way to go, Frank, man! You got my vote too. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. So that's what I got for this song. Song rocks. Yeah, this is an instrumental rearrangement of the song "Mr. Green Jeans" that appeared on the album prior to this one, "Uncle Meat" by the Mothers of Invention, Zappa's band that was going at the same time. The original "Mr. Green Jeans" has lyrics that are literally about eating your green vegetables. And that track has a much slower tempo. Give <laughs> <laughs> yes, that man some, a hand. Oh. Yes. I vastly prefer this version, though. It's sped up and jazzy, and Zappa plays another lengthy, excellent solo. We've all been commenting on that. I feel like Frank is often overlooked when you talk about great guitar players, but fuck, he's one of my favorites. Shit, yeah, man. Basically, the track runs through the main melody, and then with each pass of it, instrumentation is added or subtracted along with the solos. For a few days last week, I couldn't get this fucking melody out of my head. I think I even told yeah, you to text you Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it's catchy as hell. <laughs> Max Bennett on bass and Paul Humphrey on drums are given plenty of room to play around with the rhythms, and the track feels mostly improvised outside of the basic melodic structure. Again, Ian Underwood bringing it with intricate horn, keyboard, and woodwind parts that carry the melody and provide the framework for the song. I fucking dig this one. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Little Umbrellas. Sam, let's have it. I like the way it comes in with sax and clarinet, and Underwood is a, uh, you know, out front, and I dig it. And but around uh, two minutes, maybe uh, five, two five or two or seven, something like that. It's a weird sound coming on. It's like it's like a vibraphone and a Rhodes and a, and a piano and a harpsichord and a grand piano and a Casio keyboard, and it's all doing this jazz, really cool jazz thing. I love that man. And uh, I was like, what the fuck is he doing? You know. And a few seconds later, he's got the uh, flute coming in, you know, and yeah. it's like totally deep purple. It reminds me of deep purple <laughs> at two seventeen. And a few minutes, seconds later, uh, you know, and Max Bennett is on this one, I believe. Again, and then yes. this is just really sweet bass thing, man. This is a badass song. It's too short in my opinion, but I love it. I love it. Yep, Shannon. This song kind of broke my brain. It, it, it's um, <laughs> it, it's it's a short one. This is the shortest one, I think. Right? It is. So. It's it's got this weird, heavy, wonky intro. It's like at first you're thinking, "Holy shit, are they off? Are they off pitch or something? Are they <laughs> off key? What the hell is going on here?" You know, it's it's it totally had to do 
with the way that they mixed it. And of course, you know, everything, of course, is perfect. But it's like all of a sudden I felt like I was like, you know, smoking a pipe like an Alice in Wonderland or some shit. <laughs> Talking to like the caterpillar. It's like, what is going on here? It's just crazy. Who it had like are <laughs> you. <laughs> you. <laughs> well, I was blowing smoke into my face and going, I don't know who the hell I am, you know? I just I don't know. <laughs> And it, it's, I think this one really showcases the keyboards heavily, which was, you know, which Ray, I'm sorry, which um, Sam had mentioned before. And it's, it's really cool. But when the flutes come in, it's like, what the fuck is happening here? That's like that. Again, it's, you're stuck thinking, what do I think of when I think of this? It's just so odd sounding, but yet I like it. It's, it's so cool. I usually I'll go on like, you know, how does a song make me feel? And all I can say is it makes me feel kind of trippy. <laughs> That's about yeah. it. It's cool. Right. <laughs> All right. So this is they talk how this whole album is a uh, is supposed to be like a movie for your ears. Yeah. And this part of the movie, they take a weird twist and end up in like some sort of coffee shop in Morocco. Which is cool. And like Frank's just kind of like looking around. He's like, uh, okay, here we are. Well, Lucas would still be applicable then. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Max Bennett, I think, definitely gets some MVP awards. Like the upright bass that he's yeah. playing in the background. Um, in fact, there's like that one little bass breakdown that you think he's maybe just going to go off and do a solo. Nope, they cut right back yep. into the main yeah, melody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a slinky kind of a melody. I mean, it's kind of like dips into like the harmonic, like a, like a major seventh below the tonic, but it's definitely in a minor key in the main one. So it's got that weird kind of Eastern kind of a feel to it. The organ bridge section is friggin' phenomenal. Um, and this, you can really hear the jazz influence like yeah. popping in on this one. Yeah, this one. one's big time jazzy. Yeah. yeah. Jazz, jazz. Huge. Jazz hands. Oh, yeah. Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> but much much like uh, Superfan Sam, I got to say, man, I, this song is too fucking short, man. I, yeah. could, I could easily – and maybe yeah. it's just because – Throughout the album, the songs are progressively longer, and you're like, no, this is just like a little fucking nugget of really greatness, yeah. of, of, of a really great piece. So, yeah, it's, that's my only complaint is it's too short. Yeah. Max Bennett on Upright Bass Baby with John Guerin's mid-tempo swinging drums. And this track's got a cool, lighter, almost loungy vibe that makes me think of a dark, smoky evening jazz club. The music is very arranged on this one, like Peaches, and it highlights Ian Underwood once more. He's got a shitload of keyboard and woodwind overdubs that are just layered on top of each other. It's just fucking fantastic. I think Sam touched on that. This was one of the first albums recorded on a 16-track recorder that was custom-built for TTG Studios and allowed Zappa extra tracks to record the overdubs, as well as giving him the freedom to record drums on multiple tracks, making this album one of the first to utilize a stereo drum sound which is what the norm today is, of course, but it's why this album sounds the way it does. It was, you know, it was... Oh, shit. Yeah, it was the state of the art technology. This is the shortest track on the album, and damn, I hate to fucking say this. Oh, no. Say it ain't so. Because I have these stupid rules. (laughs) I've got to pick a least favorite, and I think it's just because it's too short. So I suppose this has got to be... Aaron's Stinky Stinker. Damn it! If it has to be one, but that's exactly. I knew what you're going to say because it's an. Uh, that would be. It's still a compliment because it's only because it's too short. So it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> there really, there is no stinky stinker on this album. But there yeah. isn't. That's the so, thing. All right. So if, if I can amend things, I'll just. I'll say it's, it's my Ray's unimpressed musical uh, pick too, man. It's just. As Ray's actually impressed, but man, <laughs> underwhelmed by the length of the yeah. song. I would have. Yeah. I would have picked Peaches. Oh, see, I love peaches. 
The penultimate track is The Gumbo Variations. Sam, give it to us. Are you guys familiar with a band called The Meters? Oh yes. yeah, hell yeah! This sounds like The Meters to me, man. When uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm you know, of course, I wasn't familiar with uh, The Meters when I heard Zappa, but you know, over the, over the years, you know, The Meters, there sounds like a freaking Louisiana vibe going on here, man. And uh, that sax, the Underwood, fucking amazing again. We're gonna say, I don't know how many times we said it already. Dude, this is funky as hell. A couple minutes in, it's got this nice sax solo, dude, and then the, and the bass gets walking. I don't know who's playing playing bass on him. I don't know if it's Max. It is. It, mm-hmm. Okay, dude, that's a sick. And he's got some of this groove. And then about four minutes in, he's got a violin going through a fucking Marshall stack. It sounds like, and then he fucking rips a blue solo on a violin through a My stack. My favorite. And that shit is so fucking awesome. awesome. That's what highlights this song. It's fucking awesome. Dude. <laughs> it melts. I, I've never, awesome. Before I'd heard this, I'd never heard a violin played like that. Me neither. Not like that. Not oh, quite my, like that. My goodness. And then it, it keeps giving you little nuggets, man. At, uh, I wrote these down. Okay. At 448, there's a nug. Four, uh, 524, seven, well, 638, 7 minutes, 715, 8 minutes, 950, 10 minutes. And then the drum and bass. 11 minutes, 12 minutes, 13. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. No. The drum, everything drops out. Every At 10 minutes, everything drops out. Yeah. And they're just fucking groovy shit that they do was only drum and bass and man this is my favorite song on this album and i love it and thank you for covering this record brother yeah yeah (laughs) shannon what do you think i love this song it's so cool and i've never heard of the meters before but i could totally see where you're talking about like a you said like a louisiana type of sound like you know part would totally fit with that i'm thinking more like um Along the lines of like um, like a Dixie Dregs or something like that, or you know, well, this is the gumbo you know, variation, and they, the meters back to Dr. John. So if you heard Dr. John recording, yeah, 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 yeah I know yeah, Dr. John yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, it's got Nolans all yeah, over so it. Mm. Nolans, yeah, exactly. It's very <laughs> fitting for this. That's not far from here. We're very uh, it's a uh, that, that kind of music's all around here. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. To the French that is quarter. awesome. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. We're coming out to visit you, Sam. Yeah, if you come down, you can stay at my place, and we will feed you and show you a good time. Nice. Oh yeah, crawfish, crawfish. Nice. Yeah, all that. Yeah, that's here. I might come down in an RV and cousin Eddie yet. Real tomato ketchup. Shitter was full. Shitter was full. I don't know why they call it hamburger helper. It tastes great on its own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Awesome. Talking about how cool this song is. Anyway, (laughs) I love that. Really, it's got a really cool funky bass intro. I mean, it's in fact what it made me think of, and it's probably off base, but no pun intended. But maybe it is fitting. Right away, I thought, like, wow, is this like what inspired Flea and like Give It Away by the Chili Peppers? Hmm. Because it was such Mm. a similar type of of um, 
riff there, so to speak. And, um, but it's, but that's like the, you know, that's kind of how I go into the song, but then it's like, it, it starts getting like, it starts screaming in like, you know, like some of the horns, but then it gives away in whiny parts and others. And it's, you know, yeah. the time signatures are all over the place again. It's crazy. But that killer violin solo is what totally captures this song because it sounds like an electric guitar. And the oddity is here is you got Frank backing him up on his guitar. Yeah. And it's like mm. the perfect compliment. It's awesome. It's one of the best jam tunes I think I've ever heard. And, and I do like jam bands. I am one of those people. And um, although I am selective, but I do like it. But this is just, I mean, it's just precision and it's pure and it's just beautiful. I love it. It's great. It's one of my favorite songs in the album, too. Ray, how about you? Holy shitballs, Ian Underwood. <laughs> um, this guy just lays down some nasty saxophone. I mean, this guy was like a musical Swiss army knife. I mean, I, who's the guy in the traffic? Who was that? Was it Chris Wood who did like all the, I think so. all the, the saxophones? Yeah, and yeah. The, yeah. The, and so this, this is Zappa's equivalent of having Chris Wood. But he's not, it's, it's funny because like... And I think of saxophone, and you know, like I mentally immediately go to like John Coltrane and his sheets of sound, like running right. scales over scales over scales. He's not trying to beat you over the head with scales and sheets of sound. I think this is probably closer to Maceo Parker's work with like um, the James Brown band. Yeah, uh, and the this, the sax just fucking growls at you for like yeah. extended periods of time in his solo. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, it's really awesome. And then. Gotta give your hats off to Don Sugarcane Harris. Um, he just melts your fucking face off with his solos. And I'm, it's like, I have to say, up until like, maybe the this, this soundtrack to the Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. I don't know if anybody remembers that show on Fox. But like, <laughs> that was Stefan Grappelli's electric violin. And I was like, eh, it's kind of interesting. But I wasn't really <laughs> digging it. But man, I'm digging electric violin on this. Yeah. The way, like, you said so it was good. Run, run oh, to, like, this one, yes, oh, yes. Killer. It makes me want to go out and buy a Mark Wood's Voodoo Violins album, which is, like, an old shrapnel record thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, this hair metal dude. And he, like, you know, he had the bracelets and everything like that. Yeah. He had pickups put onto his... Uh, on his violin? On his violin, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mark Wood's Voodoo Violins. <laughs> I, I think it's a one shrapnel record bet. Probably he had trouble moving. But <laughs> and if it sounds anything like this, I'm definitely going to look it up now. So, yeah, Zappa solo, once again, just never disappoints. He gets more of those kind of sliding fourths and chordy things and not just sticking with single note stuff, which you got to give him credit for. Uh, Paul's Humphrey, Paul Humphrey's playing throughout this album, or this track, is just never boring. I mean, it's almost like a conversation he's having with the rest of the musicians when yeah. he's out there. And what I love is that it's like the song ends like a train wreck, almost like with like, a, like an explosion kind of a sound. Yeah. And then just... The way the different instruments are jamming on, it's like a little wheel rolling off to the side of the track or something like that. So uh, this song is epic awesomeness. That's all I got for the doggone gumbo variations. Nice. This is a jazz funk jam where the basic funky rhythmic foundations provided by that team of Max Bennett and Paul Humphrey. And then we get three extended solos on top of it. The first is that tenor sax solo by Ian, and it's honking. It's all over the place, and it's even discordant in spite of like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I love it. Almost Why sounds like that, well, that free jazz kind of thing. Who does he think he is, Ornette Coleman? That's what I thought of when I heard it. Oh, what a reference. Okay, okay. The second is an electric violin solo by Sugar Cane, and goddamn, he lets it rip, too. At times, it sounds like the guitar with the higher notes. I can almost picture his face in a mixture of pain and orgasmic ecstasy. It's his violin face. I want to see his violin face. <laughs> his left eye closed. Let me see your bow face. Either that or it comes out of his head all together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And not to be outdone, Frank caps it off with a guitar solo that to me doesn't quite match Willie the Pimp or Son of Green Jeans, but come on, it's still Frank Zapp on guitar, so I'm with it. And Ian also lays down some organ blurts underneath it that are cool. Yeah. That are really cool and during Frank's solo. Even Max gets a chance to shine with a mini bass solo toward the end, but Sugarcane owns this tune, man, coming back in and bowing some more fearsomely ferocious notes to polish this track off. Ordinarily, I can take or leave jam band. I'm not one of those jam band guys. But this music has enough variety and groove to hold my interest, and I dig, man. You dig? I can dig it. I dig. (laughs) Can you dig it? (laughs) (laughs) I want to start burning disco albums right now, man. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the final track, It Must Be a Camel. Sam, must it be? <laughs> yes, it should. Must be a camel. <laughs> Man, I, it's, I don't have a stinker on this song and uh, on this album. If, but if I had to pick one, I guess it would be this one. But it's, I, I love it. <laughs> no. That's, no, that's Sam. Uh, wrong. <laughs> Way wrong. <laughs> Sam. I love it. Stop. I do love it. Okay. <laughs> there's, levels, there's levels of love. Have... have We've all known that how we are loved by other people, that there are levels that this one loves me more than the other. (laughs) (laughs) I love this one less than the others, only by a small part. It's really small. I love how it comes in with the drums and piano, man. And uh, is it Guerin on this one? Guerin? Yes. John Guerin? Okay, yep. Yeah, I, I really dig that. And a couple minutes in it, man, you get this trippy elevator music. Right? <laughs> Trip, trippy elevator music in the best way. That trippy ele- It's the best trippy elevator music you've ever heard in your life. It's like somebody is going to blow musical ayahuasca into your brain and it's like you don't understand what's happening. And then it just happens and you listen to it and about 3.44 in. It goes, uh, this, and the piano plays just descending. Da, 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 da. I love that part. Dude. That's another earworm. Another earworm on this record. I don't know how many earworms are on this record, but there are more earworms on this record than an ACDC album. <laughs> nice. I really dig this album. Cool. <laughs> Shannon. Um, I, this is a very cool tune. I, I do like It Must Be a Camel. I did read that it's um, called that because of like that humpy sounding like I think it's probably the bass they're mostly referring to because it's it's really really cool sounding. Um, the thing that really strikes me the most about this song is the percussions. It's just really odd and it's so fitting somehow. And it, it, it's just I I don't even know how to describe it. It doesn't sound like it should fit with the song, but it does. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna be tongue tied about this because it's not coming out right at all. But it's crazy sounding and it has like all these the melodic piano and then like that. And when I was talking about the bass before, it kind of like reminds me of, um, and this is coming down the road, I'm thinking of Weather Report, like Jaco Pastorius, type, you know, type of thing. Oh. Pastorius, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. And it's um, those strong horns. It's just so crazy. 
and then it stops <laughs> and it just pauses and then it continues with like these wicked strong horns and it almost is like to me if i had to visualize something i'm like standing in like andy warhol's like art studio or something i mean it's just so out there it's pop art in in music form nice it's eccentric sounding and it has really great electric guitar like injections in there and i call them injections because they just come from, like out of nowhere and it's it's just so well put together. It's it's just a I don't know how he managed to pull off writing these pieces of music. I mean, it's just crazy. But I, I really do like it a lot. And one of the things that I read about this album is that there's like this extensive use of um, musique concrete, which is basically like you're taking sounds like everyday sounds and incorporating it into your music. Oh. And and you know Frank is noted for that. Yeah, I mean, he did it his whole career. Mm. Absolutely. He did it in his childhood. I mean, he grew up in apartments. He wanted to be a drummer. He couldn't because it was too loud. So he found himself outside banging on things. Yeah, he played a bicycle on he TV. He played a bicycle on Steve Allen. Yes, I've <laughs> seen yeah, that. I saw that clip. Show. He's so young. Yes. Oh, he's yeah. Clean shaven. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even look like him. <laughs> so thin. He's like 120 pounds. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the Steve Allen show. And there he is playing the bicycle. So It was I, awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So I can totally understand, you know, how and why, you know, based on his background, th- that he would do this kind of style, how he'd just grow up with it. I mean, and don't forget, we were talking about, like, the doo-wop stuff. But also, wow. he was a big Stravinsky fan. And Veres. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Veres yeah. was his real hero. Yeah, that yeah. was, yeah. In fact, he, he got to talk to him on the phone <laughs> once. It was like Tell his, me more. Like, his 15th birthday, he was... um. He was given $5, and he said, you know, in my family, that was a lot of money because we were poor. And he said, instead of anything, he said, I wanted to make a long-distance phone call. So he, he found, he called uh, directory assistance, and he got his number in Greenwich Village, New York. He got his wife, and his wife said, well, he was, on, he was um, in Europe recording, but he'd be back next week. So he did get to talk to him. That's cool. And it, he said it was just the most amazing conversation. He was great. But isn't that cool that he got to do it that? Is. That's like Bob Dylan going to visit Woody Guthrie on his deathbed. <laughs> Same kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool that he, he Holy got to crap. experience I did that. Not, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. And that's, again, it's all cool. from his autobiography. <laughs> I got I to gotta get the book. You do. It's I called gotta... The Real Frank Zappa Book, and it is written right. by him. That's cool. And it's Done. funny. It's hysterical. It's so good. All right, Ray, your opinion. Must it be a camel? Um <laughs> If that's how the camel wants to represent itself, and that's what it identifies as, then it must be a camel. <laughs> it identifies as a camel. We, we respect the camel Love and it. its wishes. It's puppy. I love you guys. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I like the shit out of this song, but I it's hard to draw a bead on what the hell is going on. He starts out this really cool fucking percussion freakout in the beginning. And then kind of a melody comes in. It's really low-key and laid back. And I just stole a sneak at your notes, and I was like, no, I think what Aaron wrote is actually more accurate. So um, there's a part where there's, I always said it was like laying triplets, um, kind of like, uh, dragged triplets over a straight 4-4 four, four thing, which is great for creating tension. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned it on like some other shows, mm-hmm. too. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that on my crime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yep. yep. I know that they use a comb at one point, yes. on this, and you can hear them like that's that tinkling high. They, they sound like bells almost. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. literally a comb. 
That's a, a comb? <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like those everyday comb objects. The Have you ever done that? You've taken a comb and you just kind of like run it, your yes, finger over yes, it. Yes, a very fine tooth no. comb. Yes. Yeah. I've just a done a wax comb. paper trick with them. That, Do it one, take, take like a comb, like a really fine comb, yeah. put it like near your ear and just run your fingernail it over the... It sounds exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It makes sense because yeah, I mean, they're not all the same width Yes. thickness. So you're getting just going to get different ones. Like a little African thumb Yes. like a tinny harp sound even. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way to describe it actually, yeah. That yeah. is dope Shit. as fuck. That's awesome. Holy key changes on this whole this song though. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> and the guitar solo is so weird. And it starts out really kind of twangy, and all of a sudden it like turns like a little bit more mid rangey, and it's not like it's not like a little more like a, you know kind of a, a, a '60s blues rock kind of a tone. It's it's weird, but at the same time, the song is oddly chill. There's a lot of stuff going on, but at the same time, you're not listening to this and smashing people's cars or yeah. people's heads with, with sledgehammers. John Luke Ponty, where the hell is he? I don't know where he is because I think maybe it's just because my ear is so used to hearing sugarcane, sugarcane playing, being all yeah. over the place. I I listened to the song two or three times and I didn't know where he he's was. He's doubling there. the main melody, you know, da 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 da. Oh, he's, he's doubling that part. Oh. Okay. In both time, in the beginning and the end of the track. Oh, I'll be damned. Oh, well, thanks. That, now I know, because I yeah. was like, this dude's not on here. He was yeah. collecting money for Shaman. He didn't show yeah. up and do any work. Well, Sugar but, um, whooped his ass on this album. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, nah, I can't do anything too outre now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also believe it must be a camel. There's a lot going on in this tune. At times it seems almost disjointed and all over the place, but the main melody is engaging, and I read it's very unusual in its use of quintuplets with famed jazz musician Jean-Luc Ponté doubling Ian's piano, sax, and clarinet. This melody, when transcribed, looks like camel humps on paper, which is supposedly where the track's title comes from. That's what I got, Shannon. Mine's different from yours. (laughs) This tune is very dense, with rhythmic ideas colliding and the instrumentation building up with piano, saxes, and woodwinds kind of swirling around and fading out, and then Frank plays a very short, very odd but cool guitar solo that's in a different time signature than the rest of the music. The rest of the music has gone into a 4-4 time, and Frank is still playing 3-4, like the beginning of the song, which oh. also is the reason why it sounds so fucked up. Oh, wow. cool. That's so That's cool. Very, very this is the track with the most experimentation on it, and even though the sound seems to come at you from all different angles and directions, there's a cohesiveness to this that shows how Frank can mix the heavily composed with a heavily improvisational, and he blends it together like a sonic smoothie. There's a short drum solo by John Guerin that kind of resets the track after all the loose jamming, and then the main melody returns to take us to the finish. To my ears, this track kind of sums up the various musical ideas that Frank has presented throughout the album, and it's just an amazing achievement. This is probably my favorite track. Nice. Now that the track by track is over, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is a piece of shit. <laughs> Sam, what are your final thoughts on Hot Rats? All right, I have a quote from uh, uh, Gail Zappa's wife. The honest's minds were pre-programmed. He never used his music in a manipulative sense. What he was interested in doing was educating the honest's ear so that they would be tolerant of every new possibility and even be expecting new musical events to occur. I uh, think of Frank Zappa as like, um, I don't know, but uh, I, he blows my fucking mind, man. That's when I was intimidated. <laughs> I was intimidated to, to uh, be on, uh, to do a Zappa episode because I'm so intimidated by him, man. I have, I'm not, I'm a guitar player. I don't, I can't even go, you know, I can play some of the songs, but I can't, 
do what he does. And I don't even know where he's coming from. He's a fucking alien. And <laughs> I admire him so much, not just his music, though, man. When I've seen his interviews, especially here in the past couple of months, this man could be a really good president. <laughs> <laughs> I really admire him and his family, man. I, I saw Dweezil. Uh, he, uh, Dweezil uh, did the Zappa Play Zappa in, uh, at Iron City here in Birmingham a couple of years ago, and I got to see that. And he played all really cool songs. He had an incredible musician. Her name was Angela Gonzalez, and she did sax and keyboards and, and marimbas, and she was incredible. And I could not believe... So he his uh, standard. She sounds like a combination of Ian and Ruth Underwood. <laughs> yeah, <no kidding. laughs> yeah. I'm in awe of this man, and uh, he's one of my heroes. And uh, I, I appreciate you letting me come on the uh, the podcast and covering this man. And I give it a five, a big fucking five, five, oscillating <laughs> five stars. All yeah. Right. All right. Nice, Shannon. Oh God, I'm in very similar um, fashion with us. Uh, with Sam, I have a lot of reverence for Frank Zappa, and not just as a musician, but also as as so many other. There were so many different uh, aspects of him that were just fascinating. He was brilliant. He would have made an excellent politician, I believe, and he was very, very much ahead of his time. And I mean, a lot of the things that always worried him, even before he died in '91 have come to pass. I mean, he talked about the things that, that the problems that we have today with not just music, but with, you know, society in general, politics, they're all actually, they're actually happening now. I, I often think when I read about things or become more educated about just the world, how, what he would be thinking, how would Frank like perceive this? What would he do about it? Like, what would he, what would he what advise? What would Frank do? What yes. would Frank do? I'm what would Frank do? WWF You know, it's he's just um he, he was just a fascinating man. He really was. And this album is just a piece of this this crazy person. <laughs> he's he's fucking awesome, just like Sam said. He's just great. And um I think this this album really does represent, you know, his What's to come in his career? I mean, it gets more varied and more eccentric and and just more enjoyable. He's he's just just so talented. It's just it's just so incredible. I give this album a five too. And at first, when I you know listened to it, like Aaron was mentioning earlier, he's like, or I don't I think it was Aaron that was saying that you know, once upon a time you hand me this album, I I just would have kind of like not thought much of of it. But I do think it does take a mature ear, at least one that really does have an appreciation for music because it's not for everybody, but it's something that is truly a masterpiece. It's just awesome. It's, it's great. I love it. Ray. Well, man, it's it's hard to, 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 the whole quote from Terrence, what can be said that hasn't already been said before. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I got two people. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm bringing anything new to the game here. Um, man was definitely an iconoclast in so many different levels. I mean, he just did his own thing. And that's why one of the things I always respected about Frank Zappa not to mention his sense of humor was just like totally up my alley, you know. <laughs> so initially, that's what drew me in too. But um, I think the fact that like on an album like this, where he wasn't pandering to anybody, and it was I don't think, and it wasn't like a, kind of like a snooty, jazzy. Well, this is my art, and you have to like it, or if you don't, you know, it goes. Yeah, I think like um, like Shan said, he was, he was trying to you know expose people more and try to get them ready, um, or to or maybe I mean the quote from Gail. 
uh, Zappa. But he's like, here, try this out. This is something completely different. This album is great because there's so much going on musically. Like the same, re- the same reason I like Sly and the Family Stones albums because there's so much different stuff going on musically. I think this is one of those albums you can like put on, walk away from, and come back to, and you're going to find something completely different that you completely overlooked. So That's a good way to put it. I'm, Every time, yes. Yes, agreed. I'm going to give this album a definitive a definite five no hesitation whatsoever this this album will make your life better for having it frank zappa's music is really hard to categorize throughout his career he dipped his toes in rock jazz blues country classical avant-garde you name it he probably tried it he was a genuine musical composer who always enlisted crack musicians to play his music he was an obsessive and prolific artist His album catalog is gargantuan, with over a hundred official releases, many of which appeared posthumously. He reputedly taped every show he ever played and stored the tapes in a huge temperature-controlled vault. He was known as a demanding and meticulous band leader. He was always on the cutting edge of recording equipment and techniques and was on top of -of state-of-the-art music technology. But above all else, Frank Zappa was always relentlessly experimental with his music. It's difficult even to know where to begin with Zappa, his output is so massive. He would release multiple albums in a calendar year, with each new record being radically different from the previous release. Frank had a disdain for lyrics, so when he did write them, they tended to be satirical, jokey, and occasionally downright offensive. Humor was crucial to Zappa, and more often than not, I find it pretty fucking funny. But he also betrayed a mean streak every now and then, especially towards women. He was a champion and fierce defender of absolutely free speech, even going to Washington in 1985 to testify before Congress against censorship and labeling. But even more so than his lyrics is the quality of the music itself. Zappa albums are always full of experimental, expertly composed and performed musical pieces that have stood the test of time and hold up very well even today. Sometimes his work can be difficult, as he was never shy about incorporating avant-garde and musique-concrete ideas into his pieces. He can be an acquired taste. And as respected and influential as he is, Zappa's never really been popular. He's always been kind of on the fringes of musical taste, and I admit that he's not for everyone, like Shannon said. Even I don't love every single thing he's ever done, and I'm a huge Zappa fan. There's a ton more I can say about him, but I'll save it for other podcasts. As far as this album goes, Hot Rats is a mostly instrumental album that showcases Frank's compositional ability as well as his stellar guitar playing, along with some incredible work from Ian Underwood and the other musicians. Would I tell someone who didn't know Zappa's music to start with this record? No, but I would point to it as one of his better instrumental jazzy albums. I give Hot Rats a four and a half, and I hope that some of you out there that listens to this podcast and has never explored this artist, take some time and discover the genius that was Frank Zappa. And from the R4 Summit, Lowell Thomas George, Paul Nelson Humphrey, John Payne Guerin, Max Bennett, Don Glenn Vliet, also known as Don Van Vliet, best known as Captain Beefheart, and last but certainly not least, Frank Vincent Zappa. Rest in peace. Once more, we'd like to thank super listener Sam George for appearing on the podcast with us once again. We are so grateful for your support, Sam. I am grateful to you, sir. Uh, You guys uh, make my life better. You don't even understand. Uh, I'm not sure that you don't understand, but man, I look forward to uh, the videos when there was uh, a skip in... uh, 
recently. I had a little panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry. Sorry, man. <laughs> oh, man. I appreciate you guys so much, man. And uh, I, I truly love your podcast. And uh, I, um, uh, I feel like the uh, we're friends. And uh, it's such a great you know, music podcast. Shannon, it was so nice to meet you. And I'm such a big fan. And uh, – <laughs> Thanks, thanks for coming on and doing this with with us and with me. Anytime and with you. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Aaron and, and Ray. Anytime, sir. And if you ever do come to uh, uh, in Central Alabama, bring your guitar. Oh Ray. hell yeah, definitely. I'll bring my husband. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you too. And then uh, we got some musicians around here that aren't too bad. We could probably you know do some things. You know? Nice, sign pretty up. good. <laughs> Cool. All right. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the R4 Summit branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way, and yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us like Sam, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Summit, I'm Aaron. I am Shannon. And I'm Ray. Later. Thanks. That girl must be practicing witchcraft.
This is gonna be fun. Are we covering the wrong album? <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and I can't do my mistake. So you guys discuss. All right. You guys riff on Joe's girl. I got really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to I had a girlfriend uh, who was just kind of weird, and she loved stick it out. And she's like, that's German. She she could I understand German. She couldn't stick it very well, but she took German in, in college, and uh, she she heard stick it out, and she's like. This is what this is saying, and I was like, "Well, this is basically the same thing." It was like, "But no, she sang it in German, and and, and I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> That's what they were talking about." Man. Don't get no jism on my sofa. That was a running joke with that with, throughout our relationship until it ended. I miss her. <laughs> I, I want to apologize to my current wife, who I, I love. More than anything, so when she hears this, I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> Jean-Luc Ponty, you guys, name us came out because Randy Rhodes from Ozzy and Quiet Rat fame is a huge fan of his. Yeah. And one of his dying, or what, not his, not his dying wish. His dying wish. His dying wish was like, hey, pull up, stick up, pull up, stick up. This is dying wish. Yeah. Fuck him Kelly <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, don't be mad, man. We're just, we're just a couple old guys having a slice of fun oh, pie. <laughs> we miss you, Randy. Yes. Is it my turn? Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs>